Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, thank you, Chet, and good morning, everyone. Uh, for those that are watching online today, welcome to you. It's good to have you jo- join in with us. And for those here today, it's always good to see you in person. I have to say that I was kind of sitting in a little amplified singing section over here, and the harmonies are coming out of there. It even inspired me to sing a part. Uh, so that, that was really good. And if you don't know, that's, that's unusual for me, but that, that was good. So thank you very much for that. So if you don't know me, my name is, is Leighton. I'm the person they talked about out there. Honestly, it's the first time I've heard that announcement, so I'm surprised myself. So this is <laughs> alarming. I'm not sure what that means. It might be a short sermon today as well. Um, I hope that's a good laugh. So we're in the midst right now of a sermon series we're calling The Invisible War. <clears throat> and uh, what we've said is that whether we realize it or not, there is a battle that's raging all around us, and it's happening in a spiritual realm that is unseen. So we, op- we operate in these, this one world with two realms. There's a physical realm in which we interact with that we can see right now, but there's also a spiritual realm that we need to be made aware of and actually engage in. And the best way for us to do this is by opening our Bibles and searching the Scriptures because it's in these pages that we are taught of the nature and of the ways and character and purposes of God. And we're also taught about the ways and purposes and natures of our adversary, our enemy, Satan. And his plan is to thwart uh, God's purposes and try to destroy us. Now, over the last two Sundays, we have... Uh, brought our adversary into the light of Scripture, not to elevate him, but to to reveal his true nature and expose some of his purposes and tactics. And if you've missed the last two sermons, it would be good for you to go back and, and get caught up in those things. But let me just give you kind of a short list of things you need to know from what we've looked at so far. You need to know that um, at, at the core, Satan is pure evil. He has strategies. He has core strategies and evil schemes in his plans to attack us. And he's smart. He lies in wait for the right time to attack us. And sometimes we don't know the attack is coming until it's already full-blown on us. We know that he's a liar. He loves to, to feed us lies. In fact, he's called the father of lies. We know that he's a thief. And he wants to rob us of the life that God wants us to have. We know him as believers as the accuser because he loves to accuse and condemn God's children. Now, the devil, as we've talked about, is a formidable adversary, even though his powers and influences are limited. And he leads an army of principalities and powers and rulers of darkness who are committed to our destruction. As Pastor Kelly said last week, he is completely opposed to God in every way. And he will do everything in his power to disfigure and disfame the character and ways of God. He'll do everything in his power to blind the world to the reality and the truth of the goodness of God. 
and the good news of Jesus Christ. He'll do everything in his power to hinder God's people in their walk with God and in their witness for him. He'll do everything in his power to discourage us and to cause us to want to quit. He does everything in his power to to, uh, drift believers away and fall away from the faith, to divert us from God's plan for, for our lives, to break our fellowship with God, and to weaken our testimony. And all that just to say this, that the battle is real. And even though it might be taking place in an unseen realm that we, that, that we don't, uh, aren't aware of, we do feel its impact, and we see its impact in the physical realm today all around us. And I believe that eventually, every disciple of Jesus Christ, and probably most people who are not e- even yet part of the family of God, will come to understand the reality of this battle in some form in their life. Now, even take the example of the global uh, pandemic right now that's happening. Regardless of where you think or stand on this, I'm not trying to make a a huge statement other than the spiritual realm of this. Regardless of what you believe its source is, the devil has certainly exploited it. He has done what he does best. He has fed us with lies and misinformation and half-truths. He's filled us with doubt and caused us to mistrust people. He has separated us and isolated us from even our families, certainly our friends in the church. He's distracted us from our true mission and focus. He's divided us at many levels. And if we're not careful and wise and vigilant, the devil has the potential to break the church apart over a pandemic. And what I said in the first service, and as I was thinking about this, just in general, um, understanding that, that the pandemic is, is more than just a pandemic, there's a spiritual element to it. And let it not be said of us, of this generation, that we were blind to Satan's tactics and the spiritual battle that was raging all around us, and, and we let something slip away from us. This is what First Peter says. Peter says in First Peter chapter 5, in the New King James, be sober and, vi- and be vigilant. And the NIV, be alert and of sober mind. The New Living Translation, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around. And then in the message, I want to read the whole passage. It says this, keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce, and he would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have put together, uh, put you together and put, uh, uh, will, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Now, as we looked at the many scriptures, even this morning and in the weeks previous, about Satan and his ways, I'm sure that some of you have been sitting back and thinking, if Satan really is the enemy of our soul and his mission is to destroy us, then why does God allow Satan to exist? Have you ever asked that question before or ever had that question asked of you? Uh, I would say probably most of us have because this has, been a ge- this has been a question that's been asked probably in every generation. Now, um, I also want to say at the outset that here's the reality that we know, that, that's, that 
that because Satan is the created being and God is not, that without question, God could eliminate Satan at any time because God is all-powerful. And with a simple command, with just a breath, God could completely destroy Satan and stop his destructive evil ways on this earth. And further, Scripture tells us uh, from the foundation of time that God the Father knew that one day he would send his son to win back all that was lost in the fall and reestablish himself as a true king and lord over, the, over all the world. And Scripture also tells us that on the cross that Jesus delivered a fatal blow to, to Satan and his army of demons and won the ultimate victory. Colossians 2.15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's Satan and his forces, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Satan has already been defeated, and the battle has already been won. And Scripture also tells us that one day, Jesus is actually going to return to earth, and he's going to inflict Satan's final defeat and conquer every shred of evil that's left so the world and the earth would be free of that. So again, let me ask you the question. If Satan's ways are so destructive and he has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross and the, the lost the war and the, his eternal destiny is both predetermined and guaranteed, then why does Satan or God allow Satan to exist? You know, what's the deal with that? Why does he allow him to hang around? Well, that's the question I, I hope to answer this morning in some way. And I hope that it will be uh, something that will spark some interest for you as well. But let me begin by, by making a statement first. God doesn't owe us an explanation on this. And what I mean by that is that God doesn't have to explain or validate his ways. Nor do we need to understand and agree with his ways to follow him. And that's because in the end, God is still sovereign. In the end, God's character is flawless, and his ways are perfect, and his unfolding plans have never changed since the beginning of time. And we don't need to, and we may never be able to understand all his ways and all he allows happen in our lives, but we can trust his character. And by the way, if we think we need to understand everything about God before we trust him, we're actually putting ourselves as equals with God which is what Satan did and was cast out of heaven for that. And it's what uh, Adam and Eve did as part of the original sin. Our good God, the creator of the heavens and earth, is bringing about purposes in everything he does. And our response is to trust him in his ways and then walk in faithful obedience to him. Now, having said that, God has graciously given us some snapshot or glimpses of why he permits Satan to continue his activity in the world today. Colossians 1.16, just to start us off, says this, uh, by Jesus, all things were created, okay, all things, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, those again are, are talking about the spiritual realm of things. All things were created through him and for him. And so my short answer, the big picture, is that God uses all things for his purposes and for our benefit and good, including Satan's destructive efforts. Romans 8.28 puts it this way. He takes those things intended for evil and he somehow turns them into something that is good. 
Now, with the time that we have remaining, I want to direct you to uh, several passages of Scripture, and I want to look at uh, five reasons why I think God allows Satan to exist. And, and hopefully it will give us some, some insight into uh, the work of God and also the nature of Satan. So here's the, the first reason. Uh, God permits Satan to exist to draw all people to himself. Uh, there's a, a Canadian, Canadian Lieutenant Governor, uh, Romeo Dallaire. He was a force commander at the UN Peacekeeping Force in Rwanda. And he was there during the 1994 genocide. Some of you will know the history of this. Uh, it was a time where there was 800,000 lives that were taken in a span of 100 days. Now, sadly, because he only had a small number of soldiers, he was uh, unable to intervene and stop the killings. And when he returned to Canada, he wrote a book, and, in, and the book was called uh, Shake Hands with the Devil. And in that book, this is what he said. I know there was, a, there was a God, because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. You see, sometimes when we see the dark side of evil, it actually points us to something greater and better. In Daniel chapter 6, we read the story of Darius. He's the king of Persia. And let me just remind you the, the, the context here. Daniel, who's one of the main characters of the story, was a God-fearing Jew who had been exiled from his land, and he was in Babylon to start off with, and then eventually ended up in Persia, where this story happens. Because of his wisdom and God's favor on him and his character, he rose to the, to the top of the government and both, in both Babylon and Persia. And however, the officials in Persia were jealous of his success and his influence, and they set a trap for him. Now keep in mind, I'm, I'm talking about the physical realm, but underneath this, there's a spiritual realm. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see the spiritual realm coming out time and time again. So just, that's an assumption I'm making, is that this is a spiritual battle that's happening here. And the trap was set for him, and here's what happened. Uh, the people in, in leadership convinced the king to, to make a law that said no one can pray to anyone except for the king of Persia. And in that moment, the king agreed to that, and then it couldn't be revoked. And Daniel was a God-fearing man, so he kept on praying to his God. And he was captured, and the punishment for that was to be thrown in the lion's den. And so uh, um, Darius and Daniel were actually friends. And so I think secretly, or even not even secretly, Darius was hoping that somehow, some miracle, that Daniel's God would save him. And he went running to the lion's den the next day, called out to him, and sure enough, Daniel was still alive. And he came up out of the lion's den. The people that made the law were cast in and eaten immediately by the lions. But Darius, who is this pagan king, <clears throat> made this decree to the whole land. This is what he says. In every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. Like, can you imagine that statement coming from a pagan king? Because in the spiritual battles, what, what Satan intended for, for evil, God twisted around and made a declaration of who God was right to the whole nation. He goes on to say, uh, he rescues and he saves uh, and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and all the earth. 
because he rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. It's an absolutely amazing story. Now, beyond Scripture, we know of stories of spiritual battles. I recently was called into the middle of a significant spiritual battle. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, in desperate need and desiring a change in his life. And many people had come around him and were praying for this to come about and look like we're going to have a breakthrough. And just before the breakthrough had the chance to begin to happen, um, he fell back into his old ways at a critical time. And without going in, into all the details, um, as I met with him, it became very evident to me that with the timing of the event, with the people praying around him, with, with the significance of this to his life, it was very, very important that this was a spiritual battle, that, that somehow evil forces did not want to, to let this person have a change in his life and a change in his heart. Now, in fairness, uh, my friend would, would probably not call himself a Christian. It's not that he didn't believe in God, because even as we chatted that day, he, he, he conceded that there has to be a God because he saw the other side. He saw the brokenness. He saw the evil in his life, and it's happened around him. And so he knew that there was a God. And he even recognized that what he was going through was, was even though his heart Long to make the changes, right? It was overwhelming to him. He, he, was, he was held captive to these things, and he knew by himself he could not break free. And so he recognized there was a spiritual battle that was happening around him. And, and I remember at one point just thinking, uh, unless you have the, the spirit of the living God inside of you, the spirit of the living God who, who one person, the spirit, can cause a thousand demons to flee. Unless you have that spirit living in, inside you, you're not going to make it. And so I asked him, have you ever invited God's spirit to live in you to help you become the person you want to be? And his answer was, no, I never have. And so in that moment, and again, keep in mind, here's the battle. Last minute, looks like things are going to go all over the place. Satan seems like he's winning, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he becomes a child of God. And the Spirit of God lives inside of him. And, and I, I want to say that God answered prayer and he got into the place where he needed to go, which is very, very exciting. And I look forward one day to hear testimony of a changed life and be able to share that with you. Even Jesus experienced spiritual attacks. They were, they were armed and aimed at his destruction, but God used them to be something that drew people to himself. Like in John chapter 10, there's a verse that says, and I, this is Jesus speaking, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he's speaking about the day that he was lifted up on the cross. And it was in that moment, from that moment on, even to today, 2,000 years later, the people are still being drawn to the Christ and the cross. And Jesus knew that, that um, the suffering that was initiated by the devil would draw people to him one day. So why does God allow Satan to exist? Because in some wild way, Satan's existence draws people to the Father, to the truth. Here's a second reason. It's to grow our faith and transform us into the image of Jesus. Now God's desire is not to draw, just to draw us to himself, 
but it's to, to transform us into his in the likeness of his son. You see, when we give our life to Jesus, we become part of a new spiritual family. We become part of, of this, the church. And one of the goals of the Heavenly Father is to conform us and, and to mold us into the image of his son so that our character and the, the attitudes of our heart and the actions of our lives will look more and more like Jesus every day. And guess how he brings this about most times? He brings it about through the circumstances of our lives, even those things that the enemy puts in place. You know, for example, have you ever found yourself in an intense spiritual battle, one that was so desperate that you knew you needed God's power and help to win? You know, I know I have, and certainly people in the Scriptures have. This is the story of Jehoshaphat. He found himself in a, in a no-win situation, no human way out. The story is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We don't have time to read it all, but I will kind of recap it for you. Uh, a group of kings came and attacked uh, Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. And uh, it says that the armies were, were so vast that were there that he knew he didn't have not even a chance to defeat them. And so he gathered the people of Judah, and he assembled them, and together they cried out to God. And this is what they said. They said, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God heard their prayer. And he responded saying to them these amazing words. Now just imagine if you were the king and you just said, I don't know what to do. It's too great. We're dead. And he said, don't be afraid and discouraged because of the vast army. For the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. Let me just go back to my friend for a second. That's not what he can say, right? Before the battle was his and he was losing. And now the battle is the Lord's and he has a chance to win. And then it says, tomorrow march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll give you. Don't be afraid and discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow for the Lord will be with you. And so they went out the next day, and they went marching, and they, didn't, they did something very unusual. Instead of marching with their troops to the front, they grabbed Robin and the worship team, and they went with their worship leaders, and they sang a worship song. And as they were singing the song, and the song was, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As it says, as they began to sing the song of praise, the Lord set ambushes, and he defeated the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. You know, it was an amazing story of, of this person who, was, who, who, who grew in his faith. Now, I don't know about you, but, but some of the, the greatest moments of growth in my life have been seen in, in the seasons of spiritual battles that I faced. I remember one time in particular where I believed that God was clearly calling me to a specific ministry. And, and, but something happened, and all of a sudden all these these feelings and, and thoughts of, of fear and doubt were just overwhelming me. And I, I remember crying out to the Lord in the midst of that intense battle. And this is before I used the language of hearing God, okay? But I clearly heard God at that moment. I remember it clearly. And God spoke to me when I prayed. And I remember I, I, I was actually kind of sitting over in this section here in church, and, and um, this is what God said to me. Layton, I know exactly who I'm calling. I know your strengths. 
and I know your weaknesses, and I'm choosing you. Will you trust me? And it was that line, will you trust me, that just kind of settled inside of me. And God met me at that moment, and my simple act of obedience and step of faith deepened my walk with God and grew my faith. So instead of cowering to Satan and running in fear, God took that spiritual attack and he, and he actually strengthened me and he deepened my faith. And maybe that's how some of you feel on your own. So next time you, you feel attacked by, by Satan or there's a spiritual war happening around you, like look for, like what does God want to grow in me at this moment? I want to see how my faith will grow. See, God permits the devil and his evil workers to exist so that we will grow in our faith and so that ultimately we'll be transformed into his image and learn how to trust and obey him more. The third reason why God permits Satan to exist is to reveal his character and his glory. Now I want to take you to the book of Job uh, where God opens the curtains of the spiritual realm and he lets us in to see a conversation that he had with Satan and, and himself. And what we learn from this conversation is that God is the one who determines what Satan can and can't do. I like how John Piper put it. He says, God has given Satan a, a long leash, but he is the one that's holding the chain, <laughs> you know, ready to, to pull back if he needs to. And we also see from the story and several other stories in the Bible that even though God grants Satan freedom to act, he does so in ways that ultimately will bring glory to him. Now, in the story of Job, Job never found out why God allowed Satan to attack him. But in the spiritual realm that we now have been exposed to in the Scripture, we know that, that God used that time to thwart Satan's boasts and to bring glory to the Father. Another well-known example is the story in the Old Testament of the story of Joseph. You know, we talk about a journey wall out, out here, but he had an amazing journey wall. Um, he was hated so badly by his brothers that they threw him into a pit and would have killed him had not some merchants come by. He was sold into slavery in Egypt to Potiphar's house, gained some ground in that house only to be, to, uh, be, be uh, lied about by Potiphar's wife and cast into prison. His whole life was characterized by hate and lies and injustices and broken promises. And yet, in the midst of those things, somehow Joseph remained faithful to his God. And God used all those events where the enemy thought he was stealing and killing and destroying to grow Joseph up to be this godly man who would save his family and ultimately save the entire nation of Israel. And you remember the iconic, uh, the iconic line, uh, his declaration that, that he said after his dad died because his brothers thought, oh, oh now the dad's dead. He's going to seek revenge on us. Remember that? And this is what he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, in the story, God receives the glory. He receives the glory for his faithfulness to his people, for saving them, for rescuing them and redeeming them. And in the New Testament, there are many more examples, including the example of Jesus Christ and the glory he received and continues to receive through the suffering on the cross which is far more glory than he would have received had he called his father to not to take this from him and to uh, eliminate Satan. 
You know, what does it say? What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? That Jesus humbled himself to becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him a name that's above every other name. That the name of Jesus, which is a song we sang about the first one today, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. So how does this relate to us? Well, now in the same way, you and I bring glory to the Father. Or as, as Dave Beering says in his book, um, um, ADJ, what's it? <laughs> the Discipleship Journey. We always just call it ADJ for short. So anyway, now I, I should write that down next time on my notes so I remember that. But it, what he says is that we bring glory to God, we actually enhance the reputation of God in the eyes of others. And that's what it means to bring glory to God. When we continue to trust him through the challenges of life and the seasons of darkness uh, that we face, we, we enhance the reputation of God in the, in the eyes of others. Like, so for example, when tragedy strikes you and you don't crumble, you enhance God's reputation in the eyes of others. When you get that cancer diagnosis or you lose a loved one or you face an injustice or you suffer a disappointment or you lose your job or you go through a pandemic, no matter what that is, every circumstance of our life where we display the power of God or the peace of God, or we walk in the grace of God, or trust in the provision of God, we enhance the character of God in the eyes of others, and we bring glory to his name. You see, God permits us to exist, Satan to exist, because uh, it brings, he brings glory to God's name. Okay, a fourth one. Uh, God permits Satan to exist to accomplish his purposes. So you realize, right, that, that nothing catches God by surprise. You know, he is never oblivious to what Satan's up to. We might be. We might be fooled sometimes, right? But, but not God. And so what God does is he takes these things that Satan's intending for harm, and he uses them to fulfill his purposes on earth. And let me give you some examples of this again. So I'll, I'll go back to the Old Testament, the story of, of Israel in bondage to, with Egypt. And if you remember, remember the story uh, in the spiritual realm and even the physical realm, the devil wanted uh, to keep God's people in Egypt working hard in deep bondage until God delivered them. But it wasn't just a delivery. It was a miraculous delivery because there's a spiritual battle that was happening. Remember the ten plagues. And you know what God did in that moment, the battle that was initiated by Satan? He exposed the feebleness of the Egyptian gods. And he showed the people of Egypt and the people of Israel who didn't really know the power of their God and the world watching because they were known as the people of God's presence, the great power and the great awesomeness and the unlimited resources of God. And so what ended up as a, what began as a spiritual battle turned out to be a declaration fulfilling God's purposes. Look at Judas and the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus. In, in Luke 22, we read that Satan entered Judas Iscariot, and he went to the leading priest to discuss the best way to betray Jesus. And with a, with a simple kiss, they arrested him, tried him unfairly, sentenced him to die by crucifixion. And you know, I can't, I can't help but wonder, at some point, did Satan think, 
finally, I got him. Because he'd been trying to kill Jesus all along. You know, finally, I got him. I've won. But then God used Satan's schemes, and he just twisted them around for his purposes when he raised Jesus up and proved that he had he was defeated death. And that's what it says. He made a spectacle of them on the cross. And that it says in another passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that the death has been swallowed up by victory because death could not contain Jesus. And what was intended for bad ended up to be a declaration of God's purposes. What about the sifting of Peter? Jesus tells Simon Peter that Satan is asked to sift him as wheat. And even though Peter objects to that, says he'll never do it, that's exactly what happened. And we read the story in Luke chapter 22, and, and this is what it says. Uh, but I, um, Jesus says, After I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not, not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And this is a funny verse because Jesus is praying for something and he knows that he's not going to be able to do it. And he says, after you, after you blow it, I, I, I'm going to just build you up again so you can help other people out. You see, Jesus' uh, reply reveals Satan's motives, that he was trying to destroy the, the future leaders of the church and stop the movement that we're part of right now. And notice that even though Jesus prayed that, that this would pass from Peter, it still attacked him. But God used that attack to solidify Peter's faith and built him up and built up his walk so that he was able to encourage other people. So never waste a good spiritual attack in your life. Like when you get attacked, you're thinking, like, God, how do you want me to grow in this one? Because you, want, you are doing something in me that's going to be in the future. And some of you think you've blown it. You've had that attack. You're the Peter who has fallen away from God and abandoned and, and Satan sifted you out and you think, I'm done. It's over. But you know what? That's not the story. God's going to paint a different story for you. And that story might be to use your story to bring encouragement to other people that feel the same way as you. And may God use some of you to build up the church in this season. And there are times when we need to be, when he tests us as well. You know, there are times when God wants to open our eyes and expose the truth of our heart. And let me tell you, this is never a pleasant experience for anyone. But in the end, it deepens and strengthens our faith. You know, another purpose of God is that he disciplines us. You know, we know that. In the Old Testament, he would use the nations to discipline Israel. And now he uses all things, including Satan and his evil workers, to discipline us. And so we need to be aware of that and be ready to receive that discipline. And there's one more area in that area of purposes I want to mention that we don't often think about. Is sometimes God uses Satan uh, to exist for our protection. Peter, or sorry, Paul in 2 Corinthians says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there is given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And you see, Satan attempted to block Paul from continuing kingdom advancing work by deliver, delivering him this thorn in the flesh. But God said, I want that to happen because I don't want you to become conceited. I want you to be a humble man I want you to rely on me, and that's the best way that I can use you. And so that thorn in the flesh continued with Paul. He was the most effective missionary that we know. Kept him humble. Kept him relying on God. What about you? Do you have a thorn in the flesh? Do you have something that's keeping you from, from following God in his ways, and you're using that as an excuse, or you're letting Satan win in this? Maybe it's a physical 
something physical. Maybe it's something mental. You have some mental health issues. You struggle with anxiety or whatever that happens to be. Or maybe it's relationships that have been broken down. But thank God that he is loving you enough to keep you humble, loving you enough to help you rely on him on a regular basis. And listen, whenever Satan tries to divide us or discourage us or distract us, and we recognize his strategies personally and as a church, and we gather to pray, we, we change the narrative. We change it from an attack to an offense where we become victors in this. So God per permits Satan to exist for his purposes. And then just lastly, uh, God permits Satan to exist to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. You know, do you realize that God's kingdom often advances in seasons of conflict and testing? Maybe it's because in those times we realize our desperate need for God to intervene. And it's in those times that we fall on our knees and pray. Now, the book of Acts is the account of the kingdom of God advancing on earth. And it took place in the midst of these extreme challenging times for the church, times of persecution. Acts chapter 4, for example, the apostles were arrested and told not to preach again. And so what did they do? They called the church together. They got, had a prayer meeting. They were filled with the Spirit. The place shook, and they went out and kept on preaching. Right? Acts chapter 7. One of the leaders, Stephen, was martyred. And so what did they do? Well, they, they moved out to different places because they had to be scattered because of the persecution. But in, in the persecution, they fulfilled God's mandate to go and reach the world. And they kept on preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8. Believers are being hunted down by the Phar a Pharisee named Saul. But a short time later, he became a Christian. The people trusted him and eventually appointed him to be a missionary to the world. And because of that, um, many people have come to know Jesus Christ. So let me just wrap up here. I'll invite Robin and the team to come up here. Why does God permit Satan to exist? Well, it's because he is using him to accomplish his purposes on earth. Why does God permit Satan to exist? Well, remember, Satan exists because, only because God allows him to. And even though God allows Satan to uh, affl afflict us, he places boundaries on what Satan is allowed to do in our lives. Why does God allow Satan to exist? Well, God uses the spiritual battles of our lives to draw people to himself, to grow us and transform us into the image of Jesus, to reveal God's character and glory, to accomplish his purposes and to advance his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you care about us. And thank you that you're the one that's sovereign and in control. And I don't know what's happening in our lives individually. So I don't even know what's happening uh, corporately for all of us. But may we be aware of Satan's strategies. And may we see your purposes in those things. May we take what was intended for harm and bring it to your glory. And so guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?
thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.